0: Come on in, come on in. Yeah, Let's go for yeah, right. free. I don't know. Who's left in the side hallway? There's plenty of room in here. There we go. Da, da, da. I'll do more horn practice. That's it.
1: Hi. Hey. Yeah, that's what I
0: did. You can
1: blame Father God, we are so thankful to you that you you wanted family and you chose us to be your children, and we're so thankful that you take care of us and you meet you meet all of our needs and you see our problems and they aren't big deal, but sometimes they're big to us. But uh, you make a way for us, and we just thank you for being who you are and what you are, and we praise you when we put you first in our lives, and we say. Praise you, praise you, praise you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In Christ's name, amen. 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 All right.
0: So, today, Lord willing, we get to go through three more verses. (laughs) This is... This is Thy throne, O God. Hebrews one verses seven through nine. I thought this, I thought this drawing was awesome.
1: <laughs> I like it too. <laughs> yeah, and you, know, you I got the like you
0: got the seven lamps before the throne and the. The sapphire and the and the emerald rainbow and the twenty four elders and the everything. So
1: that looks cool. like more than twenty four elders. Oh, no, just the front row, just the front row. Okay. I, I, was looking, I was looking at the elders when I and I thought, boy, they they are they are, they are very sober looking. Uh huh. <laughs> and, the, and the four living beasts, which is pretty cool. Yeah. So. Isn't that neat? Yeah. Uh, that must be all of us in the background. So yeah, that's yeah,
0: yeah, right? that's, it. that's the great cloud. We'll get there. <laughs> that's, that's all
1: of us. <laughs>
0: all right, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 7 through 9. And of the angels he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But unto the sun he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity, therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. So this is is the chunk of Hebrews that we hope to go through today. Okay? Let's talk about wind and fire. Thy chariot, O God. Now this is a... This is a quotation out of the 104th Psalm, so if you have your Bibles, go there, please. But my Bible's dead. But my Bible's <laughs> out of power. <laughs> out of power. <laughs> 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 Not today, Satan. <laughs> Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, thou art very great, thou art clothed with honor and majesty, who coverest thyself with light as with a garment, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, who layeth the beams of his chambers in the waters, who maketh the clouds his chariot, who walketh upon the wings of the wind. So, what is the poetic picture being made of God here? The creator. Of the eagle? All right. Well, I mean, so what is he walking on?
1: The wings of wind. Yeah,
0: he's 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 on he's riding the clouds. He's on, he's walking on the wind. Okay, so this is natural, poetic imagery. This is important. Okay, so by chariot, O God, we just read that. Let's go back here who walks on the wings of the wind, makes clouds his chariot, right? So, David, in one of his first songs of praise, after God defeated his enemies, this is 2 Samuel 22, um, and themes of this are reflected in the psalm in the we just read. So, verse 10. He bowed the heavens also, And came down, and darkness was under his feet. And he rode upon a cherub, and did fly, and he was seen upon the wings of the wind. And he made darkness pavilions round about him, and dark waters, and thick clouds of the skies. So, you know, in a thunderstorm, as clouds pile up, light doesn't get through as well. So it's dark. Ever been on top of a thundercloud? Yeah. What is it? What color is it? White. It's light, yeah, because you're on the other side. The sun's beaming down on it, okay? But on the underside, it's dark. So this is this is why dark pavilions. <clears throat> Through the brightness before him were coals of kindled fire. The Lord thundered from heaven. What um, in the natural causes thunder? Lightning. Lightning. Is there ever any thunder without lightning? Not that I know of. no. Thunder is the result of the explosion of air because of the arc of lightning that sometimes is what I forget. It's hundred times hotter than the sun. It's hotter yeah. than me. Yeah. No. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's hot. It is hot. And and so that that air expands and explodes out, and that shock wave gets translated into sound waves, and that's why we hear thunder. And and the Most High uttered His voice. Verse fifteen. He sent out arrows and scattered them. Lightning and discomfited them. So that's parallelism. And so God's arrows are lightning. lightning. Lightning bolts. And the channels of the sea appeared, and the foundations of the world were discovered at the rebuking of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. So this is David praising God for marshaling the weather in defense of the saints. That God shows up and and defeats the enemies. With the very elements of the sky. He rides in, and what he describes is God riding in on a thundercloud. Now, you've heard me teach before on, on the, the Shekinah cloud, and the Shekinah cloud in the natural, the reflection or the type of the Shekinah cloud in the natural is the is the amble headed thundercloud. And you could follow it all the way through. It has it gives birth to tornadoes. It's the, it's, the, it's the cloud structure that gives birth to tornadoes. That's the pillar of the column of cloud. Okay? And then as it comes up, and, and you can follow all the way through the updrafts and downdrafts and how that maps out spiritually. When when a thundercloud gets all the way up to the stratosphere, it, it freezes. So the ice particles freeze, that's why it flattens out. Ever heard of the glassy sea? Mm-hmm. And then on top of that flat sea. There's the overshooting dome, like the throne of God that sits on top. So that's the natural picture. This is why when Israel was wandering in the wilderness, it was so terrifying. Not because there was this little puff of smoke that, that you know only Moses could see, but because when people stood afar off, they saw this residing, awesome thing hanging over them. You know how how do you uh, how do you get water? Never mind. I want to go there. So. <laughs> kept their livestock alive, right? So, that is the chariot of God. He commands the weather. The cherubim are his chariot. um, Psalm 18. Go the other way, Nick. No, go this way. Psalm 18. And verse 10. And he rode upon a cherub and did fly, yea, he did fly upon the wings of the wind. You can see this in Ezekiel chapter 1 and 10. Matter of fact, just read all of Ezekiel. (laughs) But you can see very clearly that the living creatures, the cherubim, are the chariot of God. Ezekiel looks up and sees the whirlwind out of the north. And then flashes of lightning up and down the whirlwind. And he sees the living creatures and above the living creatures, as it were, the the, the glassy sea and the throne of God sitting on top, and he describes this whole thing that you see again when John is carried up to heaven in Revelation. So this is the picture of God's chariot, the cherubim, but in the natural, it's what? Wind and lightning. Okay, stay with me. He makes his winds messengers. This is the actual um, translation of Psalm uh, 104, the first part of verse 4. So, going back to the 104th Psalm, the King James, (laughs) bless you, you. (laughs) has, who maketh his angels spirits, who maketh his messengers winds. But the construct in Hebrew is actually he makes the wind his messenger. Every time I could take you through the Bible and show you what God means when a wind comes out of the east and what God means when a wind comes out of the west and what God means when it comes out of the south and when it comes out of the north. Every wind has a message. In the context of this psalm, The poetic imagery is God marshaling the natural elements. And he makes wind his messenger. And lightning bolts his ministers. Lightning bolts his ministers. The fact that this fire in in the 104th Psalm and also in Hebrews is primarily lightning bolt. It's from the lightning bolt that all of the fire derives its meaning. So that was fire, and then we use that. Uh, I've taught this before, when you hear about fire from heaven, we may, because of um, Steven Spielberg, be wanting to think, you know, a la Indiana Jones, that the fire from heaven is a flamethrower coming out of a cloud. But no, you've seen fire from heaven most of your life. We call it
1: lightning. Yes,
0: Lightning. lightning. So when God responded to gifts on the altar, lightning hit it and lit it. That's the drama of it. Now you can understand that when Elijah doused it and had all that water everywhere, and he offers this up to Yahweh, that God responds. Now Baal, Baal was the was essentially the the um, uh, the Philistine Thor, if you will, the god of thunder in that sense, and yet he doesn't answer, and yet. Elijah, when he calls out to God, God shows up and smacks that offering and licks everything out. Talk about a hot bowl.
1: You know? So, anyhow. I, I often wondered, you know, Elijah must have been smart enough to be away from the when, when elders when he is. That or trusting
0: enough to <laughs> stay yeah, nearby.
1: So is, be right, 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 right,
0: yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I... Unless, you're, unless your name's Isaac, I, I advise not climbing on top of an altar when you expect fire to answer. Anyway. So, you got this. He makes winds his messengers, and he makes lightning bolts as ministers. So, the psalmist, poetically, is saying that God is sovereign over the world, speaks even through the natural elements. And yet, interpretively, you see, God. First the natural, then the spiritual. He's also saying that angels are spirits, ruach, numa, and that they're fire. You with me? Okay, here we go. Of angels and men. See, God made man of the dust of the ground. God, Remember, God took the dust of the ground, formed man, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man did what? became a living nephesh, a living soul. So what did God make angels out of? Never thought about that. See, we're made of clay. An evolutionist will look at the symbiotic relationship between humans and bacteria and go, see, it all got evolved. I look at that and say, "There was a bunch of bacteria in the living dirt that God formed man out of, and that's why we have all this bacteria in us. It's intentional. It's not evolutionary. We're made out of clay. What are angels made
1: out of? It. Fire.
0: And what? Wind. Yeah, we just read it. The psalmist just told us angels are made of wind and flame. God made angels out of wind and flame. Well, that's weird. Why would? He? That's what He did. Did you know angels have bodies?
1: Yeah.
0: You know, they, they are limited in space. They're not omnipresent. They're not... Immaterial.
1: Wait, if they're made of wind, is that why they fly? Our natural element is dirt. Our natural element is dirt. But if God made... <laughs> this is really cool. is that fun? If God, yeah, if God made angels out of wind, their natural element is in the air. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, think
0: about it. That. The fallen angel, also known as Lucifer, is called what? What's he called? Oh, the
1: air.
0: the right. prince and power of the what? Air. 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 Ever heard man call it the prince and power of the air? No. No. The meek shall inherit the air? Never read that? What do we inherit? Earth. The earth. What are we made of? Earth. Okay? Alright? I think this is really cool. Because without this, you don't get saved. See, there's another difference between men and angels. Men were made mortal. Now, I know eternal life was God's intent, but man's body was made to die. Sounds counterintuitive. Death was a result of sin. No? Yes. Hmm. Thank you. Alan Alan said technically we were made regenerative. In other words, God designed human flesh in a way that could maintain itself, heal itself. He didn't make it impermeable to damage or decay. We know this because when He kicked them out of the garden He said, lest they should reach their hand out and eat of the tree of life and live forever. We look at Revelation and we see that the tree of life is there with fruit and the leaves are for what? The healing of the nations, okay? so. So man's physical, eternal maintenance in the garden was provided from the tree of life of which they could eat freely. The tree of knowledge of good and evil exonerated him from access to the tree of life, which is why in the day you eat thereof, thou shalt surely die. But he told him that before sin. That means that mortality was, mortality was engineered within. Very important. God did not engineer mortality into angels. Jesus, when instructing His contemporaries, said that in the resurrection, you'll be equal to the angels. Well, let's read it. Luke 20, verse 36. There's a common false doctrine in quasi-Christianity that says when you die, you become an angel. And then you can find sympathy cards that do this. And people on Facebook that go, God has a new angel in heaven. No, he doesn't. God forbid. If he wanted you to be an angel, you would have seen earth be created. He, your honor, (laughs) as a flesh and blood, spirit-filled human being, is higher than the angels because the sun, and this is the subject matter, the sun, is higher than the angels. And you are a joint heir with Christ. This is, you know, we want to... We got this thing backwards. I'm not saying angels aren't fascinating. They are. I'm not saying they're not powerful. They are. But we think that they have greater... Did did God ever die for the angels? No. (coughs) Did God ever take, you know, did God ever uh, um, humble Himself and take on the form of an angel? No, no, he did not. This is why the song of the redeemed is only learned by the redeemed. The angels get to stand back and listen. There'll be plenty of angel song that will be, will just be, you know, a gas that have to listen to or whatever. But there'll be songs we could sing that they cannot even carry the tune to, because they don't know. True songs are carried by the heart, and a heart that doesn't know redemption, but can only observe it, is always curious. So curious was mankind to angels, that a host of them decided to leave heaven just to see what it was like. Much to their chagrin. Okay. So, angels were made immortal. Luke 20, verse 36. Neither can they die anymore, for they are equal unto the angels, and are the children of God, being children of the resurrection. Once resurrected, and the resurrection of the just, or... You know, at the gathering together of the church, there's no more death. That's what I mean by angels were made immortal. That means that their continual righteousness is eternal reward, and a single sin is eternal damnation. We'll read it in Hebrews. It's It's not for angels that Jesus came, there is no salvation for angels. The way God made salvation available for mankind is, He engineered mortality in our flesh. If you decide to sin, I can pay for it. Amen. Usually. Like... Awesome. Can angels still <laughs> fall after? It's an interesting question. <laughs> you will find out. <that> <laughs> Find out one there. Find out next week. Leviticus 17 tells us where the life of man resides. You cannot find the soul of man in a microscope. You can't. Bless you. Um, you can measure the uh, manifestations of life in a human being. How? Breath, heartbeat. Breath, heartbeat, and.
1: Temperature? <laughs> sure. ah,
0: the nurse gives an gives angle, all right, <laughs> brainwaves, brainwaves, but you can't, you can't find the soul. Where's the soul? Leviticus says the life of the flesh is in the blood. Our life is in our blood. This why Christ, had to shed his blood. This is all engineered within. When you follow this through and what God did, when you compare what God did with angels and what God did with mankind in this heaven and this earth, you can but just stand back amazed at his grace. All forethought, all possibilities taken into account. Nothing faded, but all forethought, you see. God didn't form man to fall. But he formed man in a way that if he did fall, he could pick him up.
1: The the sad part about it is that the people that don't come back, don't accept Christ. You know, um, yeah, they don't die. That's the sad part. They don't die. They they live eternally and without yeah. God, and, and that's a, that's a horrible <clears throat> part. eternal damnation for them. So life
0: of man is in the blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood. So where is the life of an angel? In prayer, I
1: guess.
0: That's right. The life of an angel is in the fire. Ezekiel chapter 1. Bear with me. We walk through this. I hope you see it. Or tell me I'm wrong. Well, I don't hope you tell me I'm wrong. But if I am, you tell me, right? (laughs) Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 13. As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, and like the appearance of lamps that went up and down in the living creatures, and fire, and the fire was bright, and out of the fire went forth lightning. Okay? So their whole appearance had this fire and lightning going up and down, but it had a real center of operation. It says in verse twenty, whithersoever the spirit was to go, they went. Thither was their spirit to go, and the wheels were lifted up over against them. For the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. Okay, very well. These are cherubim. Not all angels have wheels, but the house of their animus, if you will, what gave them life, the animating principle, was in the wheels. Come on. Good. sit on the front row. Yes, (laughs) ma'am. What was in the wheels? Fire. 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 Ezekiel 10. Verse 6. And it came to pass when he had commanded the man clothed with linen, saying, Take fire from between the wheels. That between the wheels is in the midst of, in the center of. I was in six. Take fire from between the wheels, from between the cherubims. Then he went in and stood beside the wheels, and one cherub stretched forth his hand from between the cherubims under the fire that was between the cherubims and took thereof and put his hand put the hands that put it into the hands of him that was clothed with linen, who took it and went out. Okay. Hang with me, because this is like If you're not a Jehovah's Witness and you get really sick and you're highly anemic or you're bleeding to death, what do you get? A transfusion. A transfusion.
1: Wait, why don't the... I shouldn't even
0: throw it out there. I shouldn't have thrown it out there. A transfusion. There is a spiritual reality of transfusion that there is a combining of souls when you take somebody else's blood. Why? Because the life of the flesh is in the blood. This is not queer, it's not weird, it's not odd, it's life, God engineered it. There are ample anecdotal, story, anecdotal stories, there's a redundancy. Uh, there's plenty of anecdotal evidence of people who have received blood, uh, um, organ transplants who begin to have memories of the original host body. People who Interesting. blood transplants receive immediate emotions. People who receive blood transfusions receive immediate emotions. Life of the flesh is in the blood. This is not weird, it's not hyper-spiritual, it's how God engineered us. Why is this surprising? Whose blood do you have? Jesus Christ's blood is in you. The living blood of your resurrected Lord and Savior is in you, gives you spiritual life. Think about that for a minute. His emotion, His memory, His faith, His righteousness in you. Okay, Ezekiel is watching this vision, this man is asked to go between, now you talk about frightful, these things are frightful, walks up with these huge hyper-spiritual gyroscopes with fire blazing in them, and the cherub reaches down inside and scoops up fire, the life of the cherub is in the wheel. What's inside the wheel? Of fire. That's why the life of the angels in the fire. He picks it up because he made his angels. Winds, spirits, and of fire. He reaches up and grabs this fire and he hands it to the man. You want to see this with a regular angel? Go to Dan. I'm going somewhere with this. Just hang with me.
1: What's with the rapture. Okay, I'm done with the rabbit trail? That's <laughs> rabbit trail. it have my All right.
0: You remember Daniel had this dream, this vision, and he sees all this horrific stuff at the end days, and it just makes him sick. He begins to pray. 21 days of fasting, and he keeps to his bed. Three weeks, he can't figure it out. When the angel shows up, he says, prayer was answered when, when you turned your heart to understand. I just had to you know, slug it out in the heavenlies to get here and give it to you. Um, and, he, and he says in verse 14, Now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days. This is Daniel 10, 14. For yet the vision is for many days. And when he had spoken such words unto me, I set my face toward the ground and became dumb. And behold, one like the similitude of the sons of men touched my lips. And then I opened my mouth and spake and said unto him that stood before me, O my Lord, by the vision my sorrows have turned upon me, and I have retained no strength. It was such a horrific vision that he was weak, For how can the servant of this my lord talk with this my lord? For as for me, straight away there remained no strength in me, neither is there any breath left in me. So it was so devastating that he felt like a dead man. Sound familiar?
1: This was Daniel.
0: This is Daniel. Verse 18. Now watch it. Then there came again and touched me, one like the appearance of a man, and he did what? strengthened me." The angel came and touched Daniel and strength, energy, vigor came from the angel and went into Daniel.
1: Interesting. What chapter?
0: That's chapter 10. To follow that, the cherub grabbed his life essence and handed it to the man clothed in linen and put it in his hands, transferring how can do that? cherubic power and authority to another minister to send it out. How do they
1: do that if it's different stuff?
0: Because it's superior. Today, what? Because it's superior. And this is what happens when you pray for people... In- and when you minister, when you receive a gift of healing, we get all kind of kind of confused in charismania, okay? A gift of healing isn't the Holy Spirit Himself pouring through me into you. He lives in you. A gift of healing is a spiritual grace, an energy of God... Delivered to the minister who then delivers it to the person needing it. And it infuses that person's flesh and life with vitality and health. Kaboom. Okay. Spiritual transference. Hold with me. Go ahead. How does that
1: happen? <laughs> because God, because God you know, is the same way. Place. it from God, just a conduit to you?
0: Sometimes the angels have it themselves, and I'm not going to delve into the seven archangels and all of that. But what angels do is minister the attributes of God.
1: Correct. That just is like.
0: What angels do is minister the attributes of God. Mm-hmm. I have no doubt that there are angels of joy. I have no doubt that there are angels of love and angels of peace and angels of.
1: Mercy, administering
0: angels, traveling mercy. Right. So, I. Okay. See this with Daniel. He says, "O man, greatly beloved, fear not." Fear God. I mean, just think about the words. He's, he's like, oh, we're all, we're all literally going to hell in a handbasket, mm-hmm. and he feels like a dead man. And the angels' words to him are, "Fear not." Greatly beloved of God. Peace be unto you. Be strong. Yea, be strong. And so the angel is infusing through transfer and through words power and vigor into Daniel. And I was strengthened and I said, Let my Lord speak. Okay, falling under the grace which is my preferred term, got it from the Anglican Pentecostals, for slain in the Spirit. I think we should use slain in the Spirit for when the Spirit kills people. That's the, that's the correct application for slain in the Spirit, Ananias and Sapphira, you know? Okay, that's slain in the Spirit. Falling under the grace is when God's revelation and God's goodness is too much for you to bear. This is why praying in the Spirit is so important, so you can bear up under the anointing. See, if you fizzle out the minute God shows up and says He loves you, it becomes very hard to transfer that to somebody else. You need to get strong in the Spirit and, and bask in it. Receive from God. But even the best of them, Daniel, God, God i got a word for you. Boom! Daniel's like, and <laughs> he's down. John, John, who knew, you know, John identifies himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Jesus shows up, he's like, I'm dead. You
1: know? Okay. All right. It was was a glorified Jesus that he was looking at the second time. Uh huh. Luke 22.
0: Don't think that this does not apply to you. This is how God will minister to you sometimes. This is how God will have you minister to others sometimes. This is how your prayers get carried across the world. Because you're God's authority on earth. And when you intercede for others, God releases angels to carry the blessing. When you give up, this is why Jesus said, you, you ought to pray and faint not. Grant me justice against my enemy. Grant me justice against my enemy. See what the, what the, what the woman says. Okay? So, this, the, there's a portion of word of faith that says name it, claim it, pray it once, it's done. If you pray it again, you're doubting. No. Daniel stuck in there fasting and praying for 21 days. His prayer was answered the first day. It just didn't get to him until 21 days later. So we stay in it. We stay in it and we leave heaven open for God to deliver the gifts to angelic beings or other saints. It's a big army. Jesus. <clears throat> and, uh, in the garden. Verse 41 of chapter 22 in Luke. And he was withdrawn from them as stones cast and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father... If thou be willing, remove this cup from me, nevertheless not my will but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven and strengthened him. And in the strength of that angelic touch, Jesus went deeper in prayer and prayed more earnestly until he bled out of his forehead. Yeah. Alright, are you with me? Okay, angels are cool, right? Jesus better. The life of the angel is in the fire. Fire is to angels what blood is to humans. Fire is to angels what blood is to humans. Make sense? Okay? Deuteronomy 4.24 For the Lord your God is a consuming fire a jealous God. Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. We'll encounter this later in Hebrews. Do you ever wonder why hell is hot? Yes? No? Maybe? Would you like to know yes. why or how is it that hell has fire? Yes. Okay. Uh, there was a uh, pop artist. Uh, uh, what's the guy's name? Anyhow. You older folks know the tune. Um, Bye-bye, Miss American Pie. Mm-hmm. See, look at that. right? He has a line in that. He says that fire is the devil's only friend. No, it's not. Fire is not the devil's friend. The devil didn't light hell. Deuteronomy 32, verse 21. They have moved me to jealousy with that which is not God, They have provoked me to anger with their vanities and I will move them to jealousy with those that are not a people. I will provoke them with anger for the foolish nation. For a fire is kindled in my anger and shall burn under the lowest hell and shall consume the earth with her increase and set on fire the foundation of the mountains. God's jealousy for His position as the only God is the anger that lights the fire in hell. There you go. That's why the bad the bad neighborhood in Sheol is a is, is a light. <laughs> I think it's comforting to know that God lit hell on fire, don't you? I mean this is not the devil's it's not the devil's kingdom,
1: God's kingdom overall. Amen? Satan see, will be thrown in a lake of fire eventually. Oh yeah. So yeah. It's, it's not... That's, that's not his, it won't be a cozy spot for him, trust me. Our gods are
0: consuming fire. Okay? For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things. And those corruptible things are like silver and gold. How do you refine silver and gold? Fire. 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 We weren't redeemed with that. We weren't redeemed with the consuming fire of God. What were we redeemed with? Blood. The precious blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen? It's good to be a man. Woman. And kind. Adam. <laughs> okay? Flesh and blood. Hallelujah. Blood for blood, God had to become man to redeem. God's Talionic Law, If any man should should shed man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. When Adam sinned, he in essence shed his sinless blood. He infected his life with iniquity and sin. The only cure was to shed the blood to pay. But he no longer had blood to pay. His blood was infected. In comes Jesus. Fresh blood. Look. Fresh blood. (laughs) Hebrews 1.8 But under the sun he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Everybody greet His Majesty the King. I'm not asking you to adore an image. (laughs) I like this image of King Jesus because He's doing what? He's smiling! He's he's smiling! Hey, come on in! Psalm 45. Here's where this is quoted from. It's one of my my favorite psalms. After the first verse, you'll know why. (laughs) Psalm 45 verse 1, My heart is indicting a good matter. I speak of the things which I have made, touching the king, for my tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Hallelujah! Can I get an amen? Amen. i say that again. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Thou art fairer than the children of men. Grace is poured into thy lips. Therefore God hath blessed thee forever. Gird thy sword upon thy thigh, O most mighty, and with thy glory and thy majesty. And in thy majesty ride prosperously because of truth and meekness and righteousness, and thy right hand shall teach thee terrible things. Thine arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies, whereby the people fall under. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is, the sep- is, the- is a right scepter. Thou lovest righteousness and hated wickedness, therefore God, thy God, has anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Thy garments smell of myrrh and aloes and cassia out of ivory palaces, whereby they have made thee glad. Okay, he's got to say it. Look, the Father calls the Son God. The Father calls the Son God. <laughs> I know this is not an argument in this space, but Lord have Mercy. Father calls the Son God. Hebrews 1.8. Under the Son He said, Thy throne of God is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of Thy kingdom. The scepter of righteousness. Jeremiah 23.5. He is the righteous branch. Let's read that real quick. Behold, the days come with the Lord, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute justice, judgment and justice on the earth. In his days, Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely, and this is his name whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. This is one of four prominent branch prophecies, and this is the righteous branch, a king. Hebrews 7 says that he is um, after the order of Melchizedek. And Melchizedek's name, by interpretation, is King of Righteousness. That's Melchizedek, okay? This Zedek, Melchizedek is King, Zedek is Righteousness, okay? And he's he's the King of Jerusalem, that's why he's the the King of Peace as well. Shalom, shalom, okay? All right, shalom, not
1: shalom,
0: sorry. All right. This king branch is shown in Matthew's Gospel. Matthew's Gospel is the exposition of the branch, the king. It has his royal lineage. He speaks of the kingdom of heaven. Okay? You with me? So then as you follow these different prophecies out, in Zechariah 6.12, he says the man, the branch. And this is, um did I get this confused? Hope not. Let's see. This is backwards. Servant branch is Mark, and man branch is Luke. Okay? I'll I'll fix the notes later. But in, in Mark, he just shows up. He's the servant. In Luke, the most prominent term in the Gospel of Luke is son of man. And John, he's the son of God. He's the branch of the Lord. And that's Isaiah 4.2. So those are the prominent uh, four branch prophecies. Scepter of righteousness. He is the branch of righteousness. The king who rules judgment and justice. Amen. His name shall be called Yahweh Zitkenu. See, that's the deck. Okay, Yahweh Zitkenu the Lord, our righteousness. This is one of the redemptive names of God. You know, know, Yahweh, Nisi, um, uh, Jehovah Jireh, and all these. Okay? This is one of them. Um, Now, the one I was talking to you about in Deuteronomy falls under the category of uh, Yahweh Kana, which is um, the Lord is jealous. (laughs) That's His name too. But this is the Lord, our righteousness. That's His name. The Lord, our righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he, that's the Father, made him, that's Christ, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him, Christ. Okay? We are made the righteousness of God in Christ. God doesn't think, well, I shouldn't say it that way. So that would be startling. But you have God's righteousness. That's why you can speak bold-facedly with God, because He puts you on a level playing field with Himself. See, absent Christ, unholy men would encounter God and say, I'm a dead man, for I'm an unholy man with unholy people, and I, I have unholy lips. But with the covering of Christ, we have the righteousness of God. We are holy, for He is holy, for He is the God who makes us holy. Amen? See, Jesus Christ is our righteousness. Jesus Christ, the King eternal, is our righteousness. And since He will never be dethroned, you will never be unrighteous. Isn't that good to know? Amen?
1: Amen?
0: Amen. Amen. Romans 14, 17, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. A kingdom... Righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom, and God has anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. You see the pattern? Righteousness and joy. <clears throat> Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. We get kind of wigged out about that term anointed. You know, you know what another word for, for anointed is? Oil. <laughs> it's to be oiled. If <laughs> you take like a lotion and you rub it on your face, you oiled your face. Take, your face. <laughs> you take olive oil, you put it on your face, you anointed yourself. You oiled yourself. Okay? So, so therefore God thy God hath oiled you with the oil of gladness. <laughs> the oil I used to oil you was the oil of gladness. You with me? Are you oil
1: <laughs> are you are you all right?
0: <laughs> so
1: when we focus on what he's done for we for us, then it comes into our soul. Amen.
0: So let's look at this gladness, the oil of gladness. What's gladness? Happiness. Joyful. Happiness. Joyful. Well, the Greek word most frequently translated joy in the New Testament is kara, which interestingly enough basically means joy. <laughs> now happy happy joy joy (laughs) right okay Ah, ah. okay so look because it means joy i get to pull an english definition out or an american as it is because this is out of the american heritage (laughs) dictionary joy is a condition or feeling of high pleasure or delight happiness or gladness so you say well gladness is synonymous with joy (laughs) analogous but not synonymous Follow with me. See, the word used here in Hebrews 1.9 is not hara. It's not. It's this word agaliasis. And agaliasis means exuberant and great joy. It's not just joy. It's exuberant and great joy. God rubbed Jesus down with exuberant and great joy. He's not a dour God. He's not a dour king. He has been infused with exuberant
1: great joy. It means that maybe he's jumping on a reason, right? Yeah. See,
0: God anointed Jesus with exceedingly high pleasure and happiness above all others. He anointed him with exceeding high pleasure and happiness above all others. I don't know if there's a time when Jesus is not having a good time. He's always having a good time. Well, I came to him and cried my heart out. He made you better. He liked that. He had a good time. <laughs> I wouldn't kick the demon out. He kicked him on the way out too. He had a good time. He comes down with his vesture dipped in blood. To execute the wrath of God, he will have a good time. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> Any of you all working, smile. I just uh, okay. This might be a little boring, but I, I just—it seems to me—I I don't. I'm just going by my own work experience. I have been in some messy work in some messy places, and I found that—oops—I forgot to close my mouth because I'm always smiling. And some part of me thinks that if the master gives me a blade and I get to hack, I will be smiling. I will have a good time with my happy Lord executing the vengeance of God. Who wouldn't? axis? Huh? You're talking about axes? Swords. Aww. Aww. No. <laughs> the axis got defeated by the allies. Um. <laughs> that was a bad joke. So now, so now let's look at let's look at Jesus, because see, Hebrews is Christ enthroned. Hebrews is Jesus, the High Priest forever seated at the right hand of God. Hebrews is the glorified Christ that work in you in your soul and your heart and your being. That's Hebrews. So now let's just take a comparative shot. Earthbound and enthroned. See, as earthbound Jesus, he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Isaiah 53:3. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Now because he was a man of sorrows and because he was acquainted with grief, he has sympathy towards you when you come to him grieving when you come to Him in sorrow. But see, today, today, He is exponentially happier than any other being in the universe. There is nobody happier than Jesus. None. Isn't that
1: exciting?
0: I'm getting so excited, I move people out of the room. (laughs) They can't stand it. Alright? So now let's just look at the difference between the anointed... The Christ. You know that Messiah in Christ means anointed. That's what it means. Anointed. The one who has the oil. Okay? So I just wanted just a quick comparison. See, we're anointed, but he's the anointed. Okay? So as the anointed, John the Baptist said that God did not give the Spirit to him by measure. When Christ came out of the water and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form as a dove, he didn't get, he didn't get a touch of Holy Spirit. Okay? Here, here is the magnificence of the mystery of godliness. The Son of God folded in heat. He laid down divinity. And for the first time, He was not intrinsically joined with the Godhead. He lived singly. This is why I say that He confined himself to the singularity of the egg in Mary's womb. He laid down all divinity attributes and took on the form of a man. And for 30 years lived. His cousin, John the Baptist, was anointed with the Holy Spirit in utero. John the Baptist never knew a day when the Holy Spirit wasn't on him. Jesus lived life sinless for 30 years without the aid of the Holy Spirit of God. That is astronomical. And then, when he came out of the water, let it be so, to fulfill righteousness. When he came out and the Holy Spirit came down, that's when Jesus started saying things like, Before Abraham was, I am. Mm -hmm. That's when Jesus reconnected, boom, in that measure to the Godhead. Not by measure. In full person, the Holy Spirit came to Jesus of Nazareth. Peter says that when He ascended, He received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and poured it out on the day of Pentecost. Jesus is the one that dispenses the Holy Spirit. When you minister the Holy Spirit, understand He's made it available, but if you're ministering the Holy Spirit to somebody, you're leading them to to new birth in Christ and to receive the Holy Spirit, It's if you want to be technical, it's to Jesus you pray. The Holy Spirit doesn't act on His own in that sense. He will follow the orders given when dispatched out of heaven. But when it comes to ministering the Holy Spirit, you do it in the name of Jesus Christ. I know that sounds technical, and we're not talking about formulas or magic here, but it just makes sense. He's the one that pours it out. He's the one that has it without measure. Makes sense? See, it, it, it pays not to pray amiss. God's grace will cover a lot, but you know it can be quicker if He doesn't have to go through the, you know, through the hurdles. <laughs> it's like some deaf person comes to you and you pray for for them to see you and they walk away hearing. Well, God worked it out, okay? But it would have been better. <laughs> it would have been better if you prayed for their ears, right? All right. We, Romans twelve three, received a measure of faith. A measure of faith. Um, this measure of faith is reflected in seven prime categories that exhibit the full character of Christ. Each of us as a born-again saint have a primary characteristic of Christ where faith really lives, be it in teaching or prophecy or in governance or in service or in mercy in organization. It's a measure of faith. We also have a measure of the gift of, of the gift of Christ, Ephesians 4 7. It's a measure. It's a measure of the gift of Christ. See, we have received A token of the Holy Spirit. See, all those are measured out. uh, To understand. Understand that it's not the person of the Holy Spirit in toto that flows through you when you minister. It's the grace of God that flows through you and the energies that He imparts. Now, He does live in you. Don't, Don't misunderstand. He does live in you. But Jesus is the one who has Him without measure. Psalm 45, verses 7 and 8. Thou lovest righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God thy God hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And now, praise God, we get to understand what happiness, exponential happiness and exuberant joy smells like. They garments smell of myrrh and aloes and cassia. That is the anointing. That's the formula right there. That is whereby they have made thee glad. Okay, that is the anointing of gladness. <clears throat> I have a deep hell suspicion that man originally was a synesthete, but wait, what? Yeah, <laughs> <clears throat> synesthete are those who they call it confusion of senses, but really people who can taste colors and, and smell sound and and um, see sound and see sound and. But any of that, I say that because the Spirit will talk to you uh, through a, a combination of your senses and, and your knowing, so you can, you can smell a Spirit, you can feel a disease, you can, you know, these kinds of things that happen. This is the smell of happiness. The smell of exponential happiness
1: is myrrh, aloes. I don't know, cassia. I don't know what that smells like, I did, I'd like to get some of smells. I, <laughs> I mean, aloe and murder. You know.
0: Anybody here ever struggle no. with flowers? Because you've had a lot of people die oh. in your life. Like and flowers. Oh, flowers. And, and you get around flowers and all they do is remind you of a funeral? Yes. No, I oh,
1: is that why we I don't do flowers? Probably. <laughs> that makes sense.
0: I, I've known people like that. I and flowers are pretty, but by correlation they remind you of, for some people, death. Myrrh. Myrrh symbolizes the suffering of death. It was used as an embalming ingredient as well as an anesthetic. Remember they mingled myrrh with his wine and they offered it to him on the cross and he didn't take it because he took the full impact of the pain of his suffering. He did not anesthetize his pain, but myrrh, as a perfume, is it's, it's, uh, it, it was used medicinally. It's used as a perfumer, it's a preservative, and is used in embalming. It symbolizes the suffering of death. They brought myrrh to him. Uh, uh, it was one of the gifts that the wise men brought. Was myrrh, aloes. Aloes soothe wounds. Is a purgative. It also is used in embalming. It Was part of the spice combination that they that they brought to his grave was aloes and myrrh. I'm starting to see a theme here. Remember, this is the oil of happiness. So far, two death deals here. I bet the third is as well. Cassia. Now, just as an aside, uh, cassia and myrrh are both ingredients in the holy anointing oil. And the holy anointing oil is, um, uh, you know, is what they use to anoint the high priests with and, and the tabernacle in the temple. And it, it's the it, it gives you the full characteristic and bandwidth, I say bandwidth, the full characteristic of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. But we're not going there today. Cassia. Cassia is a type of cinnamon. And it symbolizes the fragrance of Christ. And so it, it comes, because it's part of a bark, you strip the bark off the tree and you scrape it. And that's how they would get cassia. And it kind of smells like cinnamon. But the word cassia comes from the word that means to strip off or to scrape. Are you with me now? Embalming fluid. Anesthetic for extreme pain. Embalming spice and being stripped and scraped. Oil of the gladness of others fellows.
1: I'm
0: telling you. My God, it's special. They scorched him, Matthew 27, 26, and John 19, 1. They scraped him. They tore the skin off his back. I can tell all my ribs, the psalmist said. And the crucifixion, crucifixion is death by asphyxiation under severe pain. Everything that's done prior to this crucifixion was done by the Romans to increase its horribleness. And so... Standing on the cross, whether you were nailed like this or like this, your, your <clears throat> diaphragm was stretched out and your lungs constricted. You couldn't get a, a deep breath. Okay? And your, and your feet are nailed. And so as your, as your legs got weak, you would hang and you couldn't breathe. So to catch a breath, you'd have to press against the nail on your feet just to catch a breath and you would go down. But prior to the crucifixion, part of the crucifixion process was to be stripped naked, and then have somebody with a cat of nine tails affixed with fishbone and glass and the leather straps do hash marks across the whole back. The back of your arms, back of your head, back of your back, your buttocks, your legs, all the way down. Just rip wide open so when they laid you on that rough wood and every time you tried to catch a breath, you ripped everything open. And you ripped everything open. And you ripped everything open. As day came and they said, hey, Passover is coming. This is why even the mercies of the wicked are cruel. They would come by and break the legs. Not to put them out of their misery, just to have them hang and suffocate quicker. Scraping and stripping. They took the skin off His back. They laid the furrows deep. By His stripes, we were healed. By His stripes, we were healed. They stripped him and parted his garments. And I've only given you a few references here, but see, they brought him in the judgment. And then they stripped him. And then they went ahead and whipped him. And then they clothed him. And then they, then, then um, Pilate brought him out and said, Behold the man! And then they took him into the hall. And they stripped him again. And they put the robe on him. And they plaited the, the, the uh, acacia thorns. They put around his head. And they pounded it in with a club. And they jeered at him. And then they pulled his clothes off again and put his clothes on him. And then they took him out. And they led him to Calvary. And they stripped him. And they parted their garments. And every time, every time, every time, the fragrance of God came out. The scraping. And the stripping. The oil of gladness. There's no Savior, like Jesus. He clothes us in righteousness, Revelation 7:14, Hebrews 12:1. Wherefore seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, For the joy, what joy? The oil of gladness above all His fellows, the happiest in all the universe. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He accomplished exceeding great gladness, pleasure, and happiness for you by His suffering on the cross, by His embalming and preservation in myrrh and aloes and cassia. And now He smells of gladness. For the King, the King is enthroned forever. Amen? Amen. 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 I'll show you this last use of this exceeding joy. As a blessing or a praise. Now unto Him that is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. With exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. Mm-hmm. Praise God.
1: Thank you, church. That's that's why, anywhere that tells you there's another way to heaven, that it's a lie from hell because Jesus would, would not have gone through that if there was another way that man could be saved. There's no other way to heaven except through Jesus. That's it. That's it. Amen. 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 Amen.